Party people! Chad, it's Tag Team back again. What's going on? Not much. That's some. You get a lot of energy tonight. I do. I'm I'm ready to go. We're we're wrapping up our first season in our 1989-1990 uh, review, uh, and it's been. I don't know. I'm excited. This is fun. We had a we had some good chats about this one, so I'm excited to share it with everybody listening. Yeah, it, it has been fun. So it was a, a very interesting season to walk through. We started, you know. We, as if anybody's been listening, we started back in the forties all the way with Harv and Marv, you know, growing up in North Minneapolis to their love of sports in the the area, trying to bring the you know, buy the twins, bring in an outside NBA team to eventually purchasing an expansion franchise with the Timberwolves to the process of putting together the roster, hiring a coach, bringing in a GM, uh, and just the season that that was, and it was a uh, it was quite a process, quite a quite a ride for us as we've we've talked through, we've done the research, we've put it together. So uh, we appreciate everybody that's listened and, and stuck with us. But here we are to to wrap it all up. So we got some got some fun fun awards that we want to hand out, um, and uh, we'll just kind of take a look at where everybody everybody settled. So, uh, Chad, how how are you feeling about the, this first season that we did? How you? How do you think the Wolves roster is stacked up heading forward after their first season? It's weird because, you know, I'm old enough to remember the team um, as, a, as a kid, but it's like, you know, your memory kind of plays tricks on you with the way guys actually materialize, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, not so much in the, like, I still remember as, as that first team being the Tony Campbell and Pooh Richardson team. Um, but really what this whole process is sort of, shed light on for me was, you know, the Ty Corbin's role was really the, the Robin to Tony Campbell's Batman. Yeah. Um, more so than Pooh. Pooh sort of emerged as the season carried on. So, um, but the other part of it was, you know, over the years, you sort of remember the Tim Hardaway miss in the draft. And even after the first full season, I think it's safe to say that Pooh looked like at least Comparable, the, yeah. The 1B to Tim Hardaway 1A pick, yeah. So it's it doesn't look like a bad pick at this point. And, um, you know, like your memory sort of tells you, oh, well, the Wolves just blew that right from the get-go. And mm-hmm. it's the reality is that's not really the case. Um, so it, lots of little things that, that was fun to go back, kind of refresh my memory about how that first season played out. Yeah, it's it's been a blast. I mean, I like I said many times, I was five six years old you know throughout this season I turned six right before it started and I didn't have a ton of memories from the time because even if I went to games I didn't know what what to watch for so a lot of these players are though that I remember are the ones that held on for a few years or the ones that you know had the catchy nicknames like poo and you know it's just kind of you know what you get fed as a kid is what you end up remembering not so much what you learn from for yourself so um, when I I read an article doing some of the research for one of the episodes we did and I it was only like 14 games or something that was actually televised in market. So it wasn't like there was a ton of opportunity to even watch it unless you had, you know, some cable mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, they had extra channels that were, you might've gotten a handful more games. I don't even know how, what the, how many the what the max total of games you would have been able to watch. So there's that. But th- so then for my memory, I was about 11 or 12 when that, uh, at, at the first season and for my memories are largely based around my basketball card collection yep. <laughs> from that yeah. era because I had started collecting basketball cards the year prior um, just because I had been excited about the fact that we were going to get our own team. And so I had to like sort of, okay, what's this all about? You don't start paying attention mm-hmm. to the league. Um, oddly enough, I was actually a Pistons fan that, Boo. that year before the Wolves were here. <laughs> um, and then that first 
year with uh, David Robinson, I was also a Spurs fan. But the the Pistons are sort of my team because I don't know. I like for some reason I think my mom liked Isaiah Thomas, which is weird because she's not really a basketball fan. But I remember her mm-hmm. <laughs> saying that once. So I remember I was, like whenever they were on, I'm like, oh yeah, he is pretty good. Right. My mom, my mom knows basketball. She knows um, her stuff, man. <laughs> so we I should was, get I, her on the pod. Yeah, I don't think she probably won't even know who he is anymore. I'm like, I don't, even, I don't even know where she pulled that out of. So, like, <laughs> she honestly wasn't. It was like right around the time my parents had gotten a divorce. So I think my mom was trying to do like, yeah, overcompensate with the boy stuff. You know, like right. she had, she was the only girl left in the house. It was like I had three brothers, so it was four boys and and her. And so she was just like, it was it was between the basketball. I, I remember I started watching boxing that year, so it was like <laughs> Sugar Ray Leonard. She was telling me about, and it, so it was just kind of a weird. Time now. Those are, these are all memories that are just come popping in the back of my head right now. So well, now I'm of... regretting not having asked her to be the co-host on this podcast. Yeah, you probably should have. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think she'd jump on with me at 9 p.m. every every week. She would have a tough time navigating through the technology. I'll tell you that. It's true. <laughs> COVID has made it difficult, but we've managed through. So uh, okay, so we're we've reached the end of the 1989-1990 season, and before we dive into the Wolves, let's, let's talk through some of the the big storylines. Um, Obviously, uh, if you've been a fan of the league for any amount of time, you know that the Detroit Pistons won the title that year. It was the second straight uh, championship. So the loss of Rick Mahorn to the Timberwolves in the expansion draft didn't hurt them too much. They went on to beat the Portland Trailblazers in the finals. Uh, They had beaten Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, in seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals, the last time that the Bulls would lose before Jordan went on to win three state championships. Um, Portland, oddly enough, as we were looking at this, beat Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals, which was a big surprise to me because that was a young team. They didn't have kind of a 1A star. The, f- the fact that they made it to the Western Conference Finals that year was huge and surprising to me. I didn't think that they were really at that level of the in the Western Conference. So especially with the Lakers having won their division, they were still the Lakers. Magic Johnson had been MVP that year, both of the league and of the All-Star game. So the fact that Phoenix and Portland were kind of there in the Western Conference Finals would have been a, a fairly large upset for the league that year. Yeah, I mean, in particular Phoenix, like you said. I mean, Portland would hang around for a few years yet. But, yeah, Phoenix, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I need to go brush up on my Tom Chambers history because right. I, I know some some old-school NBA fans who talked about how good he was. Mm-hmm. But by the time I was really, like, fully vested in the NBA, I think Chambers was a little bit past his prime. So I need to kind of go, go back and kind of do some – chambers research i think yeah all i remember about him is that big dunk where he put his knee into somebody's chest yeah 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 he was kind of yeah he could kind of score at all levels like Mm -hmm. because i remember he's a good shooter but yeah he had a he had a number of highlights you know dunking the ball so um he might be a fun player to just kind of for my personal youtube uh rabbit hole sessions (laughs) going down watch clips and Highlights. Everybody stay tuned for the upcoming Chad Cox, Tom Chambers podcast coming out in next month. But uh, let's see, it was a a big year for European players coming over to the NBA. Both Vlade Divac and Drazen Drazen Petrovic joined the league um, at the the same time. So uh, if anybody was watching around the time, Petrovic was, I mean, there was a 30 for 30, which was amazing on the two of them called Once Brothers and the fact that they were so close before the country split. But Petrovic was kind of known as the European Michael Jordan and they expected him to come over and kind of take the league by storm and it was a little bit of a rough transition but he was really getting going before his untimely death yeah he was he was fun I mean I was a huge Lottie D-Box fan mm-hmm. I I think my first like well I don't know if it was my first memory but it was an early memory it was from that first year 
where they just show him smoking in the locker room. Right. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's coming from a league where it was smoke-filled gyms and, mm-hmm. you know, they were uh, that was pretty commonplace. It's kind of unfair to him that he's going to always be remembered as the, the guy that was traded for Kobe Bryant during the draft because he was a he was a really good player in his own right. Yeah, you know, I, it's funny because I know I, I'll never forget that he was traded for Kobe Bryant, but that's not the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Lottie. So that's, that's I mean, I, I think of Lottie with the Kings more than I think of him with the Lakers in those early yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a little bit younger. So that's probably, I mean, I, I think of him equally as a Laker and a King. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, he was much better even as a Laker in terms of he still had a little more athleticism. So yeah. by the time he was a King, he was uh, strictly playing off like, He's a ball movement. He was a yeah, intelligence and in the yep. game. Yeah, yeah, real smart player and stuff. And so, but I, I was a fan of him his whole career. I mean, even when we the Wolves were playing them, and you know, he was associated with that Kings team. I, you know, he was uh, still a guy I always appreciate. Watch a lot of those Euro guys from that era. You know, Petrovic, as you mentioned, um, Sabonis later. All those guys were pretty fun players to watch. It was fun to see like a different style of, of player. Because like, like you said, Lottie was a good passer, but Sabonis was a good passer. Like the big men could pass coming out mm-hmm. of Europe. Uh, Absolutely. Way before the, the big men in our, you know, in the NBA at that time weren't known as, you know, great passers. And so those guys coming over kind of, kind of um, up the game of our big men, you know, that were being born and raised here, you know, as, as the next generation would prove out. But Well, the, the ball movement in Europe held on l- a lot longer even than that and advancing oh, yeah. well past what that was happening in in the United States. I mean, I went to I got to go to Europe with the 76ers cuz they held training camp in Barcelona and Germany one year and I, I they played a game against FC Barcelona and I think it was Juan Carlos Navarro and Rudy Fernandez and maybe Fernandez was over already but um but it was just I mean Navarro was the best player on the team. It was after most of the Gasols had already left. It was just kind of um what they had left after most of their Olympic players had left, but they ran the 76ers kind of off the floor because if they, after they made their first pass, they had options B, C, and D on the floor, and they just kept moving the ball over and over and over and over and again. And it was just a completely different game to watch, and this was in 2006. So, you know, it was just a different time in the NBA. That decade was completely different with the, the names, and you know, it was very early on in the bronze run, but it was still Kobe, it was Allen Iverson, it was, Car- you know, Carmelo and it was in his third year it was a lot of one-on-one ball handling you know and taking your guy so to get to watch a a European team at that time was just completely different in the way that they they ran which was really fun and I think that's come over quite a bit since then there's been a lot of integration into that type of ball movement for some teams but yeah it's weird because then it's even a little bit of a regression back to a little bit more one-on-one with Mm -hmm. our guards but yet they kept now all the bigs can pass, all the bigs can shoot, you know, so they have that element from the Euro game still. Um, so it's weird. Yeah. Cause like when, when the, the European invasion sort of happened with the players, I was really, I love that style. Um, we're just watching the ball movement and the open shots and you know, how all five guys were capable of handling the ball. Yep. And then now, you know, we've had a good couple, almost two decades of that and or more and we've uh you know i kind of miss the the matchups that we used right. to see in the 90s of the two big men just like beating the hell out of each other down low so it's it's kind of weird you kind of you know you miss um, what you don't have always right right yeah. you know it's just like that's why i wish there was more teams that would would take some chances and kind of go against the grain and not just 
be this copycat league where, you know, just so you have like these flavors of different teams, you know, back in like even 10 years ago where, you know, the, the Western conference was known for their bigs. The Eastern conference was known for their guards. And it was, you know, it was just a different mm-hmm. style between the two conferences. Now you don't have that as much. I mean, we still have the Western conference is much more competitive, but you still don't have like an identity one yeah. versus the other. You know, I just wish there was more, identity based teams that you know like the bad boys were very physical the knicks were physical teams you know and then you had um teams like the, the phoenix suns back then who were good shooting teams and things like that so i just you know it i, I kind of hope we get back to a little bit more of that um uniqueness between the teams i at um, least appreciate the fact that there's competitiveness at all all five positions on the floor in terms of the talent that has come into the league over the past 10 years because i still remember the you know the 2000s where it was like Dwight Howard won first team all NBA center for like 10 straight years because there was literally nobody else to compete with him and now you've got you know even at the center position which isn't as deep as other positions you still have Embiid, Jokic, Gobert and Towns is sitting there at fourth fifth possibly even sixth with the way that other players have been playing this year and I don't know you know you put them where you want to put them but the center position is a lot deeper than it was 10 years ago. And that's even fun to see the the resurgence there. I know that the league has gotten smaller and they've gone for more skill, but this, these big guys are just as skilled as anybody. So it's just fun. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but on the flip side, you know, because there's multiple ball handlers now, you don't have these guys that are averaging these monster assist numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your top assist guys are in the eight assist range, you know, where, so the, the, that part of the game, is is changing. I mean, I know there's outliers, um, but you know, it's not like this. You know, like that era, like a Ricky Rubio would have thrived because yeah. you're not worried about a three point shot as much. You know, the, the distributing is more important. Uh, the, well, the your... second pass now is just as important as the first pass. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so you're 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 just playing up. You're just basically every offense in the NBA today is just trying to exploit a mismatch. Mm-hmm. And so it's just move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. Oh, we got a mismatch attack you know and and that's um you know and it's it's smart and it's analytics based but it's just i'm waiting for the next evolution now you know because there's going to be one right yep. somebody's going to come up with something to counter that because that's what always happens and then also and everybody will just copy that rather than okay well if we just improve this part of this mm-hmm. we can still do this you know and and that's the the stuff that i think that we had more of um during this first season of the wolves in that era of the nba yeah uh so also, uh, the 76ers won their division for the first time since ni- their 82-83 championship season, which uh, wouldn't normally have been um, super noteworthy, except for the fact that the Wolves did own their pick heading into the season, and they had kind of made a, a bet that Philadelphia would regress a little bit, but instead they got better from the season before, which was unfortunate. So the Wolves will get the 20th pick in the upcoming draft. Uh, Philly did lose to the Bulls in the second round. Um and then finally, the NBA on CBS concluded its 17-year run as the broadcasting partner of the of the league, all the way since 1973. So that they moved to the NBA and NBC with John Tesh's Round Ball Rock the, the following season. So uh, that's that's my era, man. NBA and NBC. If they could go oh, back, if they, I would, I wouldn't even care about the broadcast quality if they could just bring back the intro song. Yeah. That was the greatest. On, it was like every Sunday afternoon yep. they'd have like two games or three games depending on that's what i miss i miss daytime weekend nba games ah it was great the only downside to it was that was like springtime with the weather starting to get nice and mm-hmm. my mom's trying to chase me out of the house mm-hmm. to get us outside and i'm just like no i want to watch i want to watch basketball you know so yeah. that, i don't even remember watching basketball on cbs so no. um i it was just 
the NBC for me for national televised games, you know. Um, otherwise, it's just I think the Wolves were on like channel 29 or whatever, you know, <laughs> locally. So right. it was just predated Fox Sports North and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. M- NBA and NBC was fantastic. And then you had, what was the uh, NBA, what's the show on Saturday morning? NBA Inside stuff? stuff. Inside Stuff. I was yeah. like hanging off. I'm like, no, I wasn't no. a new kid show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm mixing so up good. my 80s. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get back to the Wolves. They, uh, we've got a unique set of awards that Chad has come up with. So the goal of this podcast all along has not so much been to give you every last detail or to make sure that every last stat has been shared. I mean, we've overshared probably a little bit or we've gone into some details that most people don't care about. But at the same time, we just want to give we want to make sure that people leaving this season of our podcast feel similarly to people who left this season of the Timberwolves history. So if we don't get into, you know, guys like Adrian Branch, it's because it's okay to not know who Adrian Branch was. Like he's not going to play a large role in the Timberwolves moving forward or in their history. So we don't, we didn't have feel the need to come up with an award for everybody, but there are some main guys who really stuck out to us as we went through this history, as we went through their game recaps, looked at the stats, looked at the box scores and everything. And, we wanted to make sure they all got their own unique call out. So uh, Chad has come up with a classic or retro WWF, WWE moniker or tagline or wrestler that he has associated with a, a series of Timberwolves players from the 89-90 team. And hopefully each one of them will give you a sense of how you should feel about this player. So uh, Chad, should we start from the bottom and work our way up to, to the top? Sure. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that was sort of when we try to come up with an award system for this team, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to say, you could say MVP, but it's, you know, it's a little bit like, okay, well, what does that mean? It's one team. There's only a handful of guys that are even, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, eligible. So, right? so this is more about feeling than it is about. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I wanted to combine my two, the two most important things to 12 year old <laughs> Chad at that time, which was another NBC Yep. brand right saturday night main event was my other like from um inside jam in the morning to saturday night main event there you go. night I, I my saturday was packed um so this was like this was my era man this was when i peaked this was the prime of my life um so yeah so i came up with a a wrestling counterpart to each of our main guys here i love it i love um, it i can't wait <laughs> so starting from the bottom okay um this one was a, a little bit tricky i had two different guys in mind for this this award but I, I'm going to go with the the gobbledygooker award. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember the gobbledygooker, but it was like this stupid gimmick they had in WWF where they had this egg and it eventually hatched. And it, it, the whole time as a kid, you're thinking it's going to be some wrestler, you know, it's going to be in this egg at, at Survivor Series. And it turns out it was just this turkey um, <laughs> and he was breaking eggs. And people said it was a really dumb gimmick. And so who more perfect to get this award than Steve Johnson? Right, Steve he, Johnson. He uh, he didn't really contribute much to the team. He was sort of uh, you know, a grumbler and complainer. He wanted a new contract. Um, that was the other alternative award would have been the Jake Jake the Snake Roberts Award, just because you can't trust a snake. Yeah. You know, and there was sort of that rumor and innuendo that we talked about last um, last uh, historical mm-hmm. episode about maybe did Johnson kind of fake an injury to avoid a trade and just kind of stick it to the walls or was he really legitimately hurt? Um, you know, who knows? Um, but I think either of those guys would be a, 
a good i mean jake the snake he's he's a pretty badass wrestler yeah he so was I, kind I, of a legend so yeah we'll yeah. go with gobbledygooker yeah gobbledygooker is a better fan yeah, that's why I didn't the only reason why i was gonna give him the jake the snake is just because he was kind of a snake yeah but uh he's not as cool as jake the snake so we're gonna go with the gobbledygooker for steve johnson Let's see steve johnson the the least valuable player for the timberwolves uh, held out for more than two months tanked his own trade value and sucked when he was on the floor i don't there's not a whole lot more to say about him. He only played 17 total minutes after being taken sixth overall in the expansion draft. Uh, and he had the worst uh, win shares per 48 minutes on the team. And he was traded for the guy who ended up with the second worst win shares per 48 minutes on the team. So not only did he not provide anything, he also wasn't traded for anything of value. So I like it. He was awful. He just was kind of the worst as a player and as a teammate and just member of the Timberwolves. So. And he could have been a guy we just skipped. But yeah. I wanted to come up with one, you know. No, we got to stick it to him one yeah. more time. Yeah, exactly. He earned it. He, this is it. He's, his run with the Wolves is done, so yep. we need to send him off appropriately. Perfect. All right, who we got uh, next? Next award. So this is this is the Greg the Hammer Valentine Award. Kind of a He was kind of a household favorite in the Cox household when we were kids. Um, old school wrestler, right? He's not – at this era in WWF, there's guys jumping off the top rope. There's guys doing these kind of crazy – you know, maneuvers, picking guys up over their head, slamming them. That wasn't Greg the Hammer Valentine. He's an old school submission hold kind of guy, just kind of built like a a, a tank. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give that award to Sidney Lowe. Who was uh, literally a tank. Yeah. Yeah. In my note, even I put in here, he's incidentally, he's more kettlebell than hammer. <laughs> um, but he is, he's that old school guy. Very smart uh, as a tactician, but he's not going to wow you with any uh, sort of athleticism or anything on the court. Well, the tank reference is appropriate because every shot he put up was a bomb. He shot shot 32% from the floor, and somehow he also shot 32% from inside the three-point line, which I think has got to be the lowest number I've ever seen. He he was not a scorer. He couldn't shoot the ball. Um, He averaged seven assists per 36 minutes, uh, but due to... Lack of playing time, he only finished with averages of 2.3 points and 4.2 assists on the season. And I know he was with Musselman for years in the CBA, won him titles. He had pri- previous experience in the NBA the season before, but uh, his he lost his starting job about halfway through the season, and his time in the NBA seems to be closing quick here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he. Uh, I, that's why I felt like it was appropriate. I was like, okay, well, who, who's a big-name wrestler from the 80s mm-hmm. who was— not super impressive in the ring, wasn't like a standout personality, you know, because you could have gotten Ric Flair here. He's, he doesn't have a lot of awesome moves in the ring either, but Ric Flair had this giant personality. It's sort yeah. of overwhelmed. Yeah. So, and that wasn't, Sidney was a quieter guy. He yep. wasn't this uh, flamboyant sort of guy. So, um, good solid uh, uh, comp here. Uh, the next award, and this one's going to take a little bit of explaining because it's the Shawn Michaels Award. So, this and, has got to be good, right? It is good, right? Okay, but okay. the 80s, Shawn Michaels wasn't quite the Shawn Michaels we know mm-hmm. today. For I see, so, I see. So we're going to give this award to Doug West. And that's because, you know, when Shawn Michaels arrived, he, he was just a rocker. Yep. He ends up later becoming the heartbreak kid. But, you know, in the 80s, he was just, you know, a rocker, which, you know, fine little run as a tag team and that's kind of what happens with doug west right like we can't do this list without mentioning doug west even though he wasn't a huge part on the team in mm-hmm. his work here but he becomes such a huge part of this team's history um and so i you know even though like we haven't covered the years where he really becomes a standout player for this team uh, you know we know what he all we all know what he becomes and so 
this is kind of what happens with Shawn Michaels. Like you can see some talent there. You know, you, you, you can sort of envision if you squint, like he's going to be a superstar wrestler someday. And that's kind of like Doug West, you know, is for this uh, Minnesota team in his rookie year. Very cool. I, I still remember uh, playing in the backyard in South Minneapolis, jumping off the swing set, you know, the top of the slide with pretending I had the green leggings like the rockers out there. So uh, Shawn Michaels stuck with me as, as a youngin. So I, I like it. I like that one. Not much noteworthy on Doug West minute stats per, uh, for the season, but he only averaged seven minutes per game, two, averaged 2.3 points and 40% shooting. Uh, he was still better than Gary Leonard, who we took before him, but uh, not a whole lot to say about Doug West, but he was definitely going to be a part of this franchise moving forward, so much so that if you get a chance to go listen to the, the newest episode of, of Wolves Plus, the the podcast that FSN is putting out. He was a recent guest on that. He talked a lot about playing in the Metrodome, his time early with the season. So uh, go give that a listen if you want a little bit more insight into Doug West and, and his experience with the team that year. So, And w- I don't know what Doug West does, but he looks exactly the same. He does. He hasn't changed in 30 years. <laughs> he hasn't years. changed at all. The guy has an age. I mean, he looks he looks like rookie Doug West mm-hmm. still. I mean, he because he, I think he came in as a rookie. He was bald, and then he kind of grew out his hair, and now he's bald again. So he looks like rookie Doug West. You know? Yeah, life so goals. Yeah, he looks great. All, All right, my next next award is the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat Award. Ooh. And so this one, I'm awarding it to the player who sort of flew under the radar while performing pretty well. So that, that's Steamboat, right? Like he okay. didn't, yep. he wasn't a great trash talker, wasn't great on the mic, but he was like, the, some, his matches were always some of the best technical wrestling matches um, of our childhood. And so for that award, I'm going to give it to Todd Murphy. Who you know again? He's a kind of a forgotten guy. Like I, I even forgot about him. Mm-hmm. We kind of started doing our research and was like, hey, he was actually a pretty solid player. He wasn't like eye popping numbers, and so in that regard, you know, Steamboat was like legit one of the top two or three best wrestlers of the '80s, probably in terms of technical skill. Mm-hmm. But sort of passed over. He wasn't like a, as big a star as some of these other guys, be just because he um, didn't have that giant personality and and stuff. So that that kind of fits for what Todd Murphy was. I mean, Todd Murphy might, maybe wasn't as gifted a basketball player as Steamboat was a wrestler, but he he outperformed what I think his uh, expectations were coming into that season. He did, he did. And I think I want you to do your next one because I have a feeling I know who it is, and I think they need to go together. All right. The next one is my Roddy Piper Award. <laughs> the Rowdy and, uh, Roddy Piper. <laughs> this award is going to go to the guy who came to kick ass and chew bubble gum. <laughs> and I'm giving that award to Sam Mitchell, who arrived at Timberwolves camp all out of bubble gum. No, all all out he bubble did, gum. <laughs> he just came here to kick ass, make a team, yep. and just like play far beyond what anybody could have expected from a guy who you know, was drafted a couple years earlier, didn't mm-hmm. make a team and was all but out of the league. And here he is, he comes in and he ends up carving out huge minutes as a rookie in this team um, and putting up some pretty eye popping stats as a rookie. So here's the thing, Todd Murphy and Sam Mitchell were very similar in that year. They both came in as 26 year old journeymen who ended up making their first NBA teams or at least long-term stints in NBA teams. They played similar amount of minutes. Murphy played 30.4 minutes per game. Mitchell played 30.2 minutes per game. They start, They both started a large amount of games at the both forward spots. Uh, Mitchell averaged about four and a half more points per game, you know, 12 and a half to, you know, just over eight. Um, but that's because he took a few more shots than Murphy did. But Murphy did a lot of other things better. He had better shooting percentages, better rebounding, better assists, better steals. And as I looked into this, the more I started to wonder, like, I know that Murphy was undersized for the role that they played him in, but if you just looked at this 
rookie season of the two of them. I'm surprised, like you said, that I don't remember more about Todd Murphy, that he wasn't the one that stuck around for years because he, I mean, he even led the team in three-point shooting and it wasn't on a large volume, but he he shot 37% from three and it was, and I don't know, they were just, they were very so similar, but they were. Yeah. So that, and that's why I kind of gave them the the wrestler comps as yeah. I did, because if you remember, Roddy Piper is a huge personality. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers Roddy Piper. I mean, only the sort of you know, real, I wouldn't even say diehard, more more than just the diehard wrestling fans. Yeah. You had to be pretty much tuning in most nights or Saturday night main events to to know who Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was because he wasn't this huge personality like Murphy. Whereas, you know, Sam was a gritty guy. Like yeah. he was kind of a tough nose, hard nose kind of player. And and uh, I mean that's Roddy Piper to a T. I mean Roddy Piper was, you know, he was a small guy for a wrestler. He came came into the wrestling by I think he got a start, you know, going around to carnivals and actually like just fighting real people mm-hmm. and having them bet money on whether or not they could beat him. And Roddy <laughs> Piper was just beating the crap out of him. And then somebody saw him was like, okay, kid, you have a chance to be a actual pro wrestler. So yeah. that's kind of what, why I looked at Sam, Sam Mitchell was just, and maybe it's because we do know more about Sam because yeah. obviously a longer career here yeah. and he coach here and all these things. We, Sam is, feels like somebody, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. And so he just strikes me as more of that tough guy, sort of scrappy yeah. you know, personality kind of, you know, just scratching claws way into anything he ever earned. Right. And so, um, I think, I think that, I mean, if it, that's, it makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. that, Tom Murphy is going to slip under the radar despite having similar numbers. And, and as you said, you know, even superior numbers to, um, Sam Mitchell, which is like, if you ask me, Ricky Steamboat was a much superior wrestler to Roddy Piper, but Roddy Piper was more famous because of his, his personality. And yeah. I think similar thing here. Yeah. I mean, and one more thing, one more similarity between the two. They had the two lowest turnover percentages on the team. So for the amount of time that they handled the ball, neither of them really turned the ball over. They're actually ninth and 11th overall in the league in lowest amount of turnovers you know, per, per possession, which is impressive for rookies. And it, it speaks to how they made this team as off-season veteran tryout guys without having been drafted or come in through the expansion draft or been free agents. It's just they had to really work on the basics and work on fundamentals and show that they could not hurt a team to be out there. So... So yeah, they both they both scrapped and clawed and made their way and, and really impressive seasons from both of them. And it would have been you know, I don't know if sitting through all the losing is always fun, but it would have been fun to watch these two guys finally get their chance. Yeah, for sure. All right, my next award, this was actually a pretty easy one to identify. Mm-hmm. So this is the Ted DiBiase Award, which is gonna be awarded to the only million dollar man on the Timberwolves team, which okay. is Randy Brewer. Randy Brewer, the long sought after Randy Brewer. The only guy with a, a with a, a contract, at least for this first season, of yeah. over a million dollars, so or of a million dollars, I think he was right at a million, right? So yeah, pretty easy one to you know. He's not necessarily a villain or, or anything like that because DBS, he was yeah. the pinnacle of villains in wrestling back then. But um, yeah, you know, easy easy comp there. Coming in mid season in a in a trade for Brad Lowhouse, uh, Muscleman had been looking for more size and from the center spot. Brewer came in, provided that. He was 12th overall in the league in block percentage, so the number of shots that he was around, he blocked the 12th most, most highest percentage of them. He was 20th overall in total blocks, um, so a real defensive presence um, for the team. On a team that gave up the second least points per game in the league, so um, he really played a role there. You know, he still only averaged 10 points and just under six rebounds in a game, but 
So he wasn't a, an all-star center by any means, but his ability to stand seven foot three and block a few shots really ma- made a difference in a, in a game that was played well under uh, the, under the basket. So, um, not you know, not a whole lot to say about Randy Brewer and his time with Minnesota. We we talked about his forty-point game against Jim Pete and the the Golden State Warriors and how that was probably the best game of his, of his career. So, um, but yeah, a million-dollar man coming in with that that contract and trying to fit that role. So good call, good call. All right, my next one, my all-time favorite pro wrestler, is the Randy Savage Award. And so yes, I, yes. I had to come up with some sort of gimmick that fits this one. And so this one's going to be awarded to the player with the most macho performance. Love it. And pretty there's a, there's a few candidates here um, due to this, but I'm giving it to Ty Corbin for his 53-minute game. Uh, you know, this is back in an era when men were men and guys <laughs> didn't set out to general soreness and and uh i mean and there was a few guys i think campbell played like 51 minutes or something that yeah, game so yeah, you know, yeah. he was right there too but um you know ty corbin you know he was more than just putting up minutes he was you know our second best player that season um so th- this is apropos as well because randy savage was probably the second biggest star in the 80s wrestling and so there's that part that fits ty corbin too but um just to kind of connect it to the macho gimmick you know ty corbin you know how many how many NBA players in today's era could play a 53 minute game without whining? Yeah. You know, maybe Malik Beasley on this current team would be the only guy. <laughs> he'd ask for it. Play. Yep. Yeah. He'd be like, give me more, give me more. Yep. So he'd take that, 58 shots in 53 minutes, but yeah. And, I, and I'm cool with that. My, right? Malik Beasley can be the Randy Savage award this year. I'll give him, <laughs> it might be what we have to do at the end of the season. Kind of oh revisit these. <laughs> yeah. When we got six players left who, uh, coach Finch thinks actually try. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, Tywon Corbin came in. He finished the season. He was sixth in the NBA in both steals and steals per game. As we noted, both watching when we watched the Bulls game, he, he was kind of a gambler, so it makes a little bit of sense that he ended up with that number, that many steals. But uh, he was 19th overall in defensive win shares, which is a basketball reference stat that kind of takes the team performance when you're on the floor as well as your your box score stats and puts them together into one, one round number. So, um, you know, you would have been the defensive player of the year for the Wolves, even if. Um, even if he was a little bit of a gambler with the the way that his stats ended up show, turning out. So he was averaged 14.7 points, 7.4 rebounds, which led the team 2.6 assists, 2.1 steals. So uh, a very strong season, especially out of a role player. Um, I tried to take a look at a, a modern day comparison for, for a few, a few of the guys. And the best way that I like to do that is to take a look at their per 100 possession numbers, because you can't look at per game because the, the games have changed so much. You can't even look at per 36 minutes because the, the speed of the game has changed so much. But if you really do it based off of, you know, per possession, um, you know, Tyrone Corbin had 21.1 points, 10.6 rebounds, 3.8 assists, and 3.1 steals per 100 possessions. And the, the closest I, comp I was able to find was was Thaddeus Young this year. He's at 22.5 points, 11, point, 11 rebounds. He is at 8.2 assists. So he distributes the ball much better than Tyrone Corbin did, but he was, he's also at 2.6 steals. So in my, if you want to... That's also a little bit different with the, the yeah. play style where the possessions don't quite accurately make up for that difference in play, right? Because mm-hmm. in, in today's era, everybody's touching the ball. Yep. Everybody's passing the ball. So in every possession, Thad's got more opportunity to make an assist mm-hmm. than what... Um, you know, Corbin would have had back in 1989. Yeah, so if you want in your, to put a mental model in your head of kind of who Tyrone Corbin was at the time, think about Thaddeus Young. I know he's spent a little bit of time with the Timberwolves here. He, he grew up in Philadelphia. He's been with Chicago the last few years. And um, he's, Actually, well, he's a solid been, veteran with, with yeah. them right now. So, And stylistically, they're kind of similar too. I mean, they, you know, they're both athletic guys. Mm-hmm. They, um, 
Yeah, I they're, like they're three, four tweeners. Yeah, yeah, so it kind of yeah. makes sense. Yep. Corbin led the team in field goal percentage, rebounding, and steals, and he was just kind of, like you said, he was one of the best, one of the best players on the team. And they, you know, they brought him in from Phoenix after having him having led that team in offensive rebounding. Comes over to Minnesota, leads the team in overall rebounding. It's kind of a bummer for him. He wasn't there for that team that ended up going to the Western Conference Finals this season, but. I uh, got to really make a name for himself with Minnesota and get that big contract extension that we talked about in our last episode. So a good year for Tyron Corbin. All right. So my next one is the ultimate warrior award. Oh, and I'm shaking the ropes already. <laughs> it's a little bit different. You know, it's not really about the ultimate warriors personality or his energy, but it's his, it's sort of how he just burst onto the scene and was like, just, you know, lightning in a bottle when mm-hmm. he when he debuted in the wwf and so that's that award's going to go to Pooh richardson who is okay. our our electric rookie it's a little bit more of a slower burn for Pooh than it was for the ultimate warrior um it takes him to about mid-season or a little longer to, before he kind of cracks the starting lineup for good i mean he mm-hmm. had his moments in the first half of the season but didn't really fully secure that spot to land but when he got those minutes he for the most part he performed so um, you know, he was right there, as we mentioned at the top of this show, um, that right there with, um, Tim Hardaway in terms of stats at the end of that rookie campaign for both of them, they were, they were pretty neck and neck. And so I think it was a great rookie year for Pooh and just like the warrior. I mean, he's looking like he's going to be a star in the future. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate warrior is still a big deal. So I don't understand why Pooh couldn't be this long either. So, <laughs> But yeah, so Pooh came in, like you said, it was a little bit more of a slow burn. He didn't start the—he's he had spot starts over the first half of the season, but he he picked up the starting role with 42 games left out of an 82-game season, so essentially half the year. Um, his overall stats of 11.4 points, 6.8 assists, and 1.6 steals don't really tell the whole story for how for how well he performed because he, he came in after he was given that full-time starting job, and he averaged 15.6 points, 8.9, and 8.9 assists, and— that was would have been right there with Tim Hardaway, who was at 14.7 points and 8.7 assists for the whole season. But Hardaway started 80 out of 82 or 81 out of 82 games that year, so he was given the starting job from day one. The only oddly enough, the only game he didn't start was that third game of the us. season against Minnesota. Yeah, <laughs> that was so weird because I was like, I didn't even, I, you know, I looked at that in the mm-hmm. beginning when we first started the the podcast, and then when we got to later in the thing, I went, I'm like, I'm gonna go look back and see how well Tim Hardaway's doing. I'm like. What the heck? He started almost every game. Every like, game, yeah. How did how did he not start in the game we we played? Yeah, I have so, no idea. So it wasn't even like the first game of the season where he was still working yeah. his way in. It was a third game. So I'm I'm not sure what happened there, but yeah, it's weird. Um, but the assist numbers. I mean, we talked earlier about how the game has changed. The the high number of assists aren't quite there. But I went through and I looked at. So Tim Hardaway averaged eight point seven assists that year, which led the league or led all rookies. The Pooh would have been at eight point nine if you only took his his numbers from the second half of the season, but. I'm going to give you a guess on how many total players have averaged more assists than 8.7 as a rookie since then, in the 31 years since then. I'm thinking it's a pretty low number. I'm going to go three. It is one. Wow. Only one player has beaten that 8.7 assist point game as a rookie, and that was Damon Stoudemire for Toronto. Wow. That wouldn't have even been who I guessed. Yeah. I, mean, I know he had an awesome rookie year. So some guy, lots of guys in the eights, you know, just slightly under. Even Ricky was at eight point two. His rookie. You know who year. I was going to guess? I was going to guess my guy from our old debate back when we worked together, Darren Williams. That's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> I don't think he was quite there, but, um, but yeah, only one guy has actually beaten Tim Hardaway that year. So I mean, Hardaway, as we've talked about, he ends up having a great career, and all the 
the consternation about whether or not the Timberwolves should have taken him is legitimate. But at the end of this season, I mean, if if you only look at their stats as rookies, it's Hardaway was a clear winner. But if you were really really paying attention to what Pooh did after taking over that job, it really is just they were neck and neck. They were the same type of player. They had held the same value, and maybe Golden State won a little bit more. They had a better team. They had more all stars, more veterans around them. But uh, I mean, Pooh. Averaging 8.9 assists, if he would have held it up over a whole season, it would have been fourth all time for the Wolves. I mean, it was just, it was a great, great rookie season for Pooh. He ended up on the All Rookie First Team. They, they don't, they didn't display the the overall voting for Rookie of the Year, which obviously was won by David Robinson. But, uh, but it was Robinson, Pooh, uh, Tim Hardaway, and then Sherman Douglas and Vlade Divac on the All Rookie First Team. Um, David Robinson won Rookie of the Month every month, so they, I couldn't even find a stat <laughs> saying that uh, Pooh won one one of the Rookie of the Month uh, awards. But um, Pooh, oddly enough, was eighth in All Star voting among Western Conference guards. So coming from UCLA and the time that he spent there, he still had a big enough name, you know, for the expansion of Minnesota Timberwolves that he got some votes, which was kind of fun. I don't know if it's just because the Timberwolves had forty two thousand people in the stadium each night and there was no online voting, so it was just plug in the boxes. You know, I I remember going to games as a kid and sitting there with. 30 ballots in my lap and punching all the, all the different holes and then dropping them all in at the end of the game. So, um, so maybe it was that, but, um, but yeah, it was, Pooh had, was a wonderful rookie and I, I don't, I wish he would have been around longer because he, he really was showing some stuff. Yeah. And gun to head. I don't know how many Timberwolves fans would say that he was that successful as a rookie. Like remember it yeah. that clearly, right? Yeah. Because I, I don't think he got the attention he probably deserved, you know, um, at that time, and and part of that's because the team, you know, only won twenty games or whatever, and and they were a brand new team. And part of it was he wasn't the the biggest scorer, which particularly in nineteen eighty nine ninety was there was a premium on scoring over any other stat in, in basketball still. So mm-hmm. um, he, that wasn't his game. So yeah, it's it's um kind of kind of interesting going back and just seeing how how good and effective he actually was as a rookie. Yeah, I mean. It- just to compare him to Tim Hardaway a little bit more, like their assist percentages were 36.4 for Hardaway to 35.3 for Pooh, which were ninth and 11th in the league. And their steal percentages was 2.8% for Hardaway and 2.7% for Pooh, which were 13th and 15th in the league. Hardaway had a little bit higher true shooting percentage, but Pooh was better. You know, he didn't turn the ball over as much. And if you look at the advanced stats, win shares, box score plus minus, value over replacement player, I know that not a lot of people know what those things are, but they're just kind of all in one stats and they all favored Pooh for how he, he performed that year and the value that he provided to his team. So he, at the end of their rookie year, Pooh was just as much of a legitimate building piece, building block and piece for the future as, as Tim Hardaway was. Um, you know, there was also, there were Sherman Darklet, Sherman Douglas, Mookie Blaylock, BJ Armstrong, some other guards that the Timberwolves could have gone with, with that pick. Douglas had a good year at 14.3 points, 7.6 assists. Um, not quite at the level of, of Tim Hardaway or, or what Pooh did as a starter. Blaylock had 10 points, 4 assists. B.J. Armstrong, 5.6 points, 2.5 assists, you know, albeit with a, a you know an Eastern Conference Finals team as a backup. But um, but yeah. I think that's B.J.'s game, right? Like, I don't, yeah. I mean, personally, I don't think B.J. ever had the same level of six individual success that Pooh or Tim Hardaway or even Mookie Blaylock. Well, I mean, I, B.J. did end up being an all-star in the year that Jordan was retired. Yeah, so he got I mean, the recognition just, later, but yeah, I mean, it, he. But I think he largely got it off of reputation of being that Bulls guy mm-hmm. who was a clutch shooter. You know, I just, you know, and I, I would have to go back and look at this, his, his overall game in that season. He made the All Star, but I just don't know that 
I ever even were just watching him passing the eye test. I, he just didn't pass eye tests as uh, somebody that did much more other than just hit. Yeah, like flamethrower shots. No, I mean he he was just the reason you, I brought him up is because he's another one of the guys right, at, right, in the beginning right. of the season, and that that's why I'm making the comparison as well. Yeah, because the Wolves he's one of those, drafted right, right, right. So and, I, and that's where I think it's a little bit revisionist history. It's like that B.J. Armstrong wouldn't have existed mm-hmm. on this Wolves team because he would he would be asked to shoulder a much greater yeah. load than what he was able to develop into playing with Michael Jordan, Scotty yeah. Pippen, Torres Grant. I mean, that, that team was, I mean, he was the what seventh or eighth fiddle. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah Absolutely. I mean, so it's a totally different, like what would a poo done on that team? I guess mm-hmm. would be a, a fair question is like, you know, who might've been a starter from, you know, that, second year on they're, they're, they're yeah I, I don't know if he could have played in the, in the triangle because he wasn't the shooter that bj or john paxson were but yeah he was much i feel like he was much more talented especially as a rookie than bj was mm-hmm. um you know and if, if we want to play our game again where we go per 100 possessions to try to try to come up with a comp a modern day comp Pooh was at 19.2 points 11.3 assists 4.4 rebounds and 2.7 steals and the closest comp that i came up with was tyus jones at 18.3 points uh 10.1 assists 5.6 rebounds and 2.8 steals so very similar numbers per 100 possessions Tyus Jones is a very solid backup court point guard able to step in as a starter now um the NBA is flush with point guards right now it's just a completely different league and uh, you know the fact that we talk about D'Angelo Russell as possibly you know a mid-tier starting point guard right now is just kind of ridiculous with how talented he is so there's just so many talented point guards out there so it's saying that Tyus Jones isn't always a starting point guard is is unfair to the comparison because he's a very solid player very good you know very good were there any starters when you looked at not 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 that matched up across the board I mean so there were some guys that matched up on points some guys that matched up on assists but a lot of guys these days score more than than Pooh did right right at the time yeah so and yeah because back then point guards you weren't supposed to be a scorer Mm -hmm. right there was very few point guards you know outside of magic and yeah know isaiah um that were really looked at to be you know, catalysts mm-hmm. on offense so, other than yeah. to tyus, i mean tyus went through and he set the nba record for assist to turnover ratio which is very similar to the type of game that Pooh played he didn't turn the ball over a lot he got a lot of assists and he was just a steadying presence on the floor so i like the comparison i and i think that yeah, tyus, I in a different, I, tyus in a different generation would have been different you know right and that's why i asked if there was a starter just because for those people who maybe don't remember how good tyus was with the wolves mm-hmm. Um, or, or sort of hold the fact that Tyus was never a full-time starter anywhere he was against them. You know, I was just wondering if there was a starting comparison because I don't think a guy with that talent, like Tyus Jones would have been a full-time starter in 1989, yeah, 90, right? Yeah. So that's kind of why I was asking if there was just a starter comp to that, just because I don't want to shortchange. Like, look, Tyus is being shortchanged just because of the era he's playing in, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to shortchange Poo, you know, now because, you know, and maybe Poo probably would be a backup in today's yep. era because yeah. of, what skill sets he he brings but um but he was you know a legit starter i mean he would have started on, on many teams in the nba even in 1989 90 mm-hmm. yep who was fun i liked him yeah he's uh definitely a bright spot for that season all right my final award goes to is the hulk hogan award which is really the the real american hero award the real American hero. <laughs> it's the uh, overall excellence. It's the it's the best guy, and that's yeah, clearly fight for the right of every man. Right. Yeah. Eat, you know, eat your vitamins and say your prayers. And... What you gonna do, brother? 
And that, so Tony Campbell's the, the obvious choice here. Tony Campbell was the model of consistency that season. Mm-hmm. I, there's very few box scores you can go through where you don't see Tony Campbell as, as the best player on that team. Um, I mean, his, his field goal percentages were ridiculous every single night considering he was a, you know, two guard mm-hmm. for the team. Um, he was just, you know, a, a, a very, such a terrific signing that, that, that team made in its expansion year because he, like, I, there was nobody else available that was going to be as good as Tony Campbell. And so the Wolves crushed it on that one. Yeah. Between that and the Pupek, I mean, it's like, it's that management team is looking really strong. You just, you know, I can't wait to get to the, the points where things kind of go wrong. Because, yeah, to start figuring out how they blow it. But yeah, because yeah, you got, you know, those two, and then you got these awesome finds like Sam Mitchell and Todd Murphy, mm-hmm. and then even Doug West, who, you know, didn't, show much this first year, but we all know what he ends up becoming. So it's like you, you pair that up with Tony and Pooh and Ty Corbin and it's like, yep. you know, you have something there. So, um, it'll be kind of fun to get, go through, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you give the Hulk Hogan award to anybody else on this 89, 90 Wolves team than the Tony Campbell for his just, you know, he was clearly the, the number one option on this team. Right. Coming from the Lakers as a bench player, he moved over to the Timberwolves and, the challenge for a guy who you try to sign for a larger role is always, can they keep up their efficiency when being handled a much larger role? When they're asked to create, when they're asked to shoot a lot more, can they still do it at the same efficiency that they did in a smaller role when they weren't the number one guy on the floor? And he, his shooting efficiency was essentially the exact same from his time with the Lakers to the time with the Timberwolves. And he averaged 23 points, five and a half rebounds, 2.6 assists per game. He finished in the top 10 in the league in minutes played, minutes per game, field goals, field goals attempted, and usage percentage. So he was he was the driver of this Timberwolves offense. Like, they ran everything through him. He took a ton of shots. He ended up top 20 in free throws made, free throw attempts, points, and points per game. He was 14th in the league in scoring. So, I mean, just the fact that they didn't have shooting on this team, they didn't have any other creators. I mean, Pooh really stepped in the second half of the season as a— a ball handler, a distributor, another guy to get the offense running, but but it was Corbin from day one, even from that Bulls game that we watched. I mean, how, how many shots did he take in the first half? He took twenty shots in the first half and hit them in a, a high efficiency. So um, he ended up third in the league in most improved player voting behind Ronnie Cycli and Reggie Miller. Um, and he was just—I mean, if you're gonna say that anybody was in the running for a player of the month or an All Star or whatever happens to be recognition, it was. It was Tony Campbell because he was the best player on the team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's without a doubt. I mean, he's looking like a legit NBA star Mm -hmm. at this, at this point. I mean, I know he's, he's not like what you kind of build around in today's era when you're looking for 19, 20 year olds to sort of build the team around. He's, he's a little bit older than that. So you're, you're fitting pieces around him, but um, I, you know, I think, I mean, especially it's an expansion team. So I'm sure they have their eyes open no matter you know, who the guy is to say, okay, well, wherever we can improve the team, but he clearly was the leader of this one. So, um, I don't know how you, how you can expect any more from a guy like that. Mm -hmm. Player comp wise. I mean, per 100, he was at 31.7 points, 7.5 assists, three point or 7.5 rebounds, excuse me, 3.5 assists. And oddly, the two insane numbers. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and the two names that came up were very apt and make a lot of sense for how this season is going. It was Jeremy Grant who was stepping into a, a full-time starter kind of star role with Detroit on a bad team, moving off of a, being a role player for a good Denver team last year. 
Um, he's at 31.8 points, 7.2 rebounds, 4.0 assists are almost exactly the same, the same 100 per 100, 100 possession numbers. And he's really proving himself to be the star of his team and, and, and a star in this league and capable of much more than he had been given before. And the second closest was a guy that we've mentioned multiple times as a comparison for Tony Campbell as Malik Beasley. He's, he's slightly below, but he's at 29.3 points. 6.6 rebounds and 3.5 assists per 100 possession. So slightly behind in point, points and rebounds. But I but mean, what's those... crazy about that is, is both Tony Campbell and Jeremy Grant on their teams, they're the number one options. Yeah. Malik is like, there's no pecking order on this team. And oftentimes, you know, in the first half of the, the current season, mm-hmm. you know, Dilo was the number one option. The second half, Cat's the number one option. But Malik, just the fact that he's even in sniffing distance of those guys and scoring, I mean, that tells you how how many threes he's hitting per right, game. Right. But it's a big difference. Yeah, it yeah. does. Um, but it, you know, it, so respect to Malik because um, those two guys are our number one options mm-hmm. for their respective teams where Malik is, you know, the second or third option on, on many nights. And sometimes he's forgotten about altogether. It's like maddening. There's, there's games where you're like, why is Malik not touching the ball more? He's our best shooter and stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting. comparison. I really like the Jeremy Grant comparison because visually you know yep. the eye test tells me that they're they're more similar too because size-wise they're a little bit closer in line than Malik's a little bit shorter and um yeah I know Campbell and, played shooting guard but he was the size of a small forward where yeah. Malik plays shooting guard and he's in, can't play small forward so right. so I yeah. mean Grant is a small forward power forward so he's a little bit bigger um but yeah, yeah the fact that he stepped into a large I mean the, both of these guys it's just it's really cool to see that they have very similar paths to Tony Campbell and they got to step into bigger roles this year and they all kind of have that that similar similar uh, resume here. Yeah. More things change, the more they stay the same, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Guys can always step in and, and light it up. So, well, Chad, we have reached the end of the 1989-1990 season. We've got a long offseason to gum. We've got a rookie draft. We have free agency. We have offseason storylines. We've got a whole lot to take a look at. We're going to do some research. We're going to get back at you. I think we'll come back next week. We'll do one more uh, episode uh, about this current Wolves team, just try to catch up on where they're at um, and just see if, if Coach Finch has been able to figure anything out over this all-star break and implement anything over these uh, next few games. But um, we'll be back. We'll do one more episode, and then we're going to take a little break, and uh, we're going to do some research. We're going to get ready for the 1990-91 season and, and see where this team, Timberwolves team can go. Uh, hopefully we're back at you shortly after the the trade deadline here for our current team so that we can – evaluate in real time any big moves that come 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 at you but uh chad this has been awesome i couldn't have dreamed of this going any better yeah it's been really fun really fun so we'll uh we'll get a little bit better we'll clean it up and then maybe we'll we'll come back at you with something new next season on howl history dig it dig it (laughs) all right man i'll talk to you later take care all right peace see ya